Heavenly Father, we so blessed that we're able to come into your presence uh, without hindrance because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Lord, this morning we want to come before you and just lay all of our burdens at your feet, uh, whether they be physical burdens, uh, people that are suffering from sickness and disease, uh, whether they be uh, just um, feeling like we're just opposed spiritually and just really having a tough time following you, Lord, we just we just want to lay these burdens at your feet and ask, Lord, for your help this morning. Pray that you would fill us up with your spirit. Pray that you would strengthen hands that are weak. Lord, heal bodies that are not whole. And Lord, we just uh, pray that we would be able to um, know what it means to follow Jesus. Help us to understand more what it means to follow Jesus. And Help us, Father, to understand more what the mission of Jesus was this morning. And Lord, help us to to live out the truths of the Scripture that Jesus calls us to. Lord, we need your help to do that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on... Luke mentions the following when it comes to the passage we're going to look at today. He says that Jesus accomplished three things in saving Luke, or in in calling, um, excuse me, in calling Levi, I should say. Uh, The first thing he accomplished was the obvious. He saved his soul when he called Levi. The second thing that he accomplished was that he, he added to the number of his disciples, right? And then the third thing, though, is Jesus created an opportunity to further explain his ministry. And you'll see that. that By the mere fact that he chose a tax collector to follow him was very purposeful. He's trying to communicate something to everybody around at the time. And so uh, we're going to take this in little chunks here this morning in um, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And I'm just calling this message the call and the complaint, okay? The call of Levi, and then the Pharisees have some complaints. And this will be one of many complaints that we will hear from the Pharisees. They, Jesus is going to get some pushback, and it'll just be one of many pushbacks that he gets because he's instituting something new, some new things, some things that come contrary to the all the extra laws and so on and rules that the Pharisees had built up in their interpretation of trying to apply God's law. And so uh, Jesus is stirring the pot today, okay? So now uh, let's look at the call of Levi here, uh, and, and otherwise probably just means Matthew. Uh, it's likely also just another name for Matthew, referring to Matthew's call Jesus. So uh, let me just read here these couple of verses. It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. 
Uh, so, you know, we, we've seen the call of Simon and uh, and then his business partners, right? They left everything, and Jesus said, I'm going to make you uh, fishers of men now. And this is not unlike that call. It's very similar. He's just saying, follow me, follow me. Um, and the one thing that I, I'm just thinking here is, is just the obvious, that Jesus initiated the call. Jesus reached out to him. And this is how it works with any of us, right? When when it comes to our salvation, God is the initiator. He is the one who loves us, right? And we, we all probably know that uh, wonderful verse, um, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world. He's the one that initiated sending his son, that he would die on the cross for our sins, like Charlie was explaining during communion. And uh, if you read some of... Uh, I'd encourage you to read it all, but if you read the, especially the first parts of the book of Romans, you realize that uh, none of us really seeks for God. It takes Him seeking us. And so uh, if you're a believer today, if you put your faith in Christ, you should be praising God right now that He sought you out. He initiated the call to follow Him. And um, I'm sure that you could share uh, your story uh, bits and parts where you saw God's hand and His move in your calling and how He put people in certain places. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was an uncle or aunt. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Um, someone else. Could have been a stranger. Gave you a tract. Um, and, and so, you know, it just, God works through all kinds of ways but to draw us to Himself. But make no mistake, the initiator in our salvation is God himself. And so Jesus is going by a tax booth, and uh, purposefully so, I believe, and and he sees uh, Levi, or Matthew, in the tax booth. And so what you need to realize is that these tax collectors were, uh, were basically, you know, um, contracted by the Roman government to collect local taxes. They could be taxing things that were coming into ports, they were coming through these trade routes, um, all kinds of reasons to be collecting taxes just like there are today. Um, and so, uh, but what's happening here is you have this Jewish man named Levi, so a local person, uh, a local Jewish person, and he is um, basically by his peers, seen as a traitor, a collaborator. Uh, the Romans were occupying their area. And, and you know, as you can read history and you see uh, the occupation was strong. And, and so they're collecting taxes. And so, uh, but, but he's in the tax booth then. You know, presumably people would come up and pay their taxes that they had owed for various trades or whatnot. And so... So Jesus walks up to that tax booth and he calls Matthew and just says, follow me. And, and doesn't it just shock you, though, that he does, it says, it very simply says, and leaving everything, he rose up and followed him. He left everything and he followed him. I mean, it just blows your mind. Um. Now, we don't know any backstory necessarily. Had he heard Jesus preach? You know, had he, was there 
a context, you know, before this. We don't really know. But what we do know is that uh, what, it, what involves, at least we can see not only from this example, but we can see from other places in Scripture that following Jesus involves Jesus taking center stage in your life. And that's what you see happening there. Um, now, Jesus may not have you change your job. He may not have you just, you know, leave everything and go somewhere. But make no mistake, when Jesus is calling us to follow him, he's definitely saying, I'm going to play the rightful place in your life, and I am to be the center of your life. And so uh, we would want to, as followers of Jesus, in a similar way as is leaving everything, but it's kind of submitting everything to Jesus. Uh, holding loosely to things and to relationships if God shows us that those aren't good for us. Those are not good for our walk with Jesus. We may have to let some things go, right? Let me read to you something David Platt wrote. He had a series, and I think actually our small group did this series called Follow Me by David Platt. It is not for the faint of heart. It is very challenging. Um, and you'll get it from this quote. Um, But here's what David Platt says. Jesus beckoned these men to leave behind their professions, possessions, dreams, ambitions, family, friends, safety, and security. He bid them to abandon everything. Now he's quoting Scripture. If anyone is going to follow me, Jesus said, he must deny himself. Jesus would say that repeatedly, right? He must you're going to follow me, and then he would say something. He would give a condition. He would say, and, and, and it would always amount to basically deny yourself and put me first. Uh, David Platt goes on to say, in a world where everything revolves around self, protect yourself, promote yourself, preserve yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself. Jesus said, slay yourself. Now, that's challenging. And uh, it's, it's uh, I, I believe this is it's not a one-time thing, <laughs> okay? So, you know, we have to continually lay our lives on the altar and continually, because we continually tend to take things back up that he had us lay down, right? Because we're either not trusting him or we're doubting or something. But just know this, uh, there is a cost to following Jesus, I think if nothing else, this passage shows us that. And that call to Levi, it cost him something. And it's going to be different for every person. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be right for me to come up here and say, it's going to mean this for you. It's going to mean this. I don't know what it's going to mean for you. But the thing is, is how, how do we approach this? How do we apply this? Is, is to, to basically say, at least to start, say, Lord, help me to be willing to lay whatever it is down for you if you call me to do that, like whatever you want. And, you know, when we pray that prayer, we don't know what it'll mean. But if you know our Savior and if you know the God of the Bible, that he is totally trustworthy and he totally has our best in mind, just through what we see all through Scripture and hopefully from your own experience you know that, is that following Jesus involves taking Christ to be center of your life, which means it's kind of like everything runs through him. 
My, you know, if you're married, you're married. If you're single and you're dating, that relationship and how, it is, how you're relating to one another before marriage needs to be run through him. Is it God-honoring, right? Uh, and so on. And in our jobs, how we do our jobs, how we parent our children if you have children, right? All, we just all submit that to him and say, Lord, Lord, how do you want me to do that? What does your scripture say about it? And so, now another thing, though, that we see from this passage, so it says that he left everything and he arose and followed Jesus. Um, and again, our application here is this to say, you know, kind of having a heart, an attitude of prayer that's always basically telling the Lord whatever you want. Right? Now, the other thing that following Jesus means, it involves introducing friends and family to Jesus. And you see in verse 29, uh, Matthew had a party. He had a party. He says he, he, made, he made Jesus uh, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors. It's like an IRS convention at Matthew's house. And, uh, you know, it's in Jesus' honor. So, you know, the whole point of this was he wanted all of his friends to meet this man who had changed his life. What an incredible testimony. Um, you know, just, just the fact that his heart's desire was, like, I just want my friends and I want my family to know Jesus and to see this man that I've been talking about and to meet him personally. I think that should resonate with our hearts. Though Jesus is not here in the flesh, we know him. It's a strange thing to say that you can know someone you've never met, like, you know, in a physical way. But yet we know we have a relationship with the living Savior. It's a mystery, right, when we accept Christ as Savior and then the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, right? And so, um, but, but what we could do now is we can still introduce people to Jesus. We can still tell them about our Savior and the relationship we have with Him. And we can introduce people to Jesus by telling them our story of how God intervened in our lives and worked in our lives. Because everybody, if you're really saved, you've got some kind of a story. You may not feel it's that exciting, but let me tell you what, the angels in heaven feel it's exciting because they all rejoiced on the day that you put your faith in Jesus. They had a party, okay? And so, and so, and then you don't want to stop, though, with just your story. You want to tell God's story of sending Jesus and why they need Jesus and, uh, and that you would love for them to know Jesus, too, because um, it's the greatest thing, right? It's the greatest thing to know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so uh, this is what it means to follow Jesus if you're a Jesus follower you're going to be trying to introduce your friends and family to Jesus. And, and there's going to be all kinds of ways you can do that. You know, a lot of great things happen around food, I believe. <laughs> you could probably tell. Yeah, uh, it's just, so why not, you know, meals are great opportunities. Um, When's the last time you had a meal with someone who's far from God or that you don't know where they stand with God? Why not invite them into your home? Have some table fellowship with them? 
and just see where the conversation goes. I this kind of blew my mind. Linda and I had, you know, we we moved to Grove City here a little over a year ago. We had been and still continue to do to try and introduce ourselves to uh, different neighbors. And we had some neighbor, a couple of neighbors, one couple right next door to us, and then another person down the way. And we had them over for dinner one night. And uh, we have a, a little box of questions sitting on our table. It was gifted to us by somebody. They're kind of just conversation starters. I had no intention of using them that night. One of the guests said, what's that? Oh, let's ask some of these questions and learn some things about each other. I'm like, man, you just like read from the playbook, you know, like this is just great. And so, you know, they were just, they're not, they weren't deep questions. They were informational. They were get to know you types of questions. But it it, it was just, uh, it, it broke the ice a little bit, literally. And, um, and, but it started with a meal. Just a meal. And uh, so I just encourage you all, whether it's meeting out for dinner somewhere or coffee or inviting someone into your home, um, you know, it's, I kind of like the home space because it's, it's, it's reflective of you. Uh, I feel like it's a little more inviting, but that's, that's me. Um, and so I just think it's a, it, it provides opportunities um, over time. You know, it doesn't have to be the first time you have somebody for dinner that, uh, you know, you have a conversation about Jesus. But it might because you have no idea. What, like, I had no idea that people were going to pick up that cube, pull out a question card, and just start going through them. Um, and so um, following Jesus, yeah, it, it, it involves introducing your friends and family to Jesus. And I, I think this, I think that we all... Our hearts probably ebb and flow with um, uh, with really having a an extreme heart desire to see people saved. Because we get, the reason I say it ebb and flows is it's not that because in our head that we don't want others to come to know Christ. It's just that because our life just starts it's happening, right? And and we can kind of lose that peace to following Jesus. We it might kind of take a, a side seat or whatever or back seat for a while because of different things that have the focus. But, but, it, but it needs to come back, you know. It needs to be something that we're about, right, is, is introducing people to Jesus. And I think this is that um, probably the step before, um, the step before in uh, having dinner is praying for these people. Um, Romans 10.1, Paul says this, and you get... Paul's heart, obviously he had a heart to see people come to know Jesus. He himself had had, you know, quite a dramatic encounter with Jesus on on the road, right? Uh, Jesus revealed himself to him, literally knocking him off his horse. And and Jesus um, changed his life. But here's what Paul says in Romans 10.1. And he's speaking to his fellow Jewish brothers. He's saying, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, meaning his own uh, Israelite people. He's like, my heart's desire my and my prayer. So you see heart desire being expressed in prayer. And I think that's where it starts, is we just need to 
be praying for people uh, that God has around you, okay? I mean, think about the people that you're around on a regular basis who live by you, who work with you, who constantly, maybe who go to your karate class. I don't know what you're into, but there are people that you are regularly around. And start praying for them by name. Asking God to draw them to himself. Because it's going to take a work of God. For sure. And so, have a meal. Keep people on your prayer list. This is important. And so, we go from the call to the complaining. All right, and we see in verses 30 to 32 what happens when the Pharisees get wind of what's going on. Here it says in verse 30, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. And my understanding is that's the same word that's used in the Old Testament for all the grumblings of the people of God when they weren't trusting him. They just were complaining and grumbling. And here's what they were saying. Here's what the Pharisees were saying. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So this goes back to uh, what I said earlier in that I think it's, it's, it's very purposeful that Jesus chose a tax collector to be among his disciples. He's trying to make a point here, and he has made it. All right, he has made it here. And the Pharisees are like, you know, the tax collectors are just the scum of the earth, okay? And that's the way they would, in a sense, view them because they're traitors, like I said earlier. Um, and, and many of them also would not just collect the tax that was required, but would actually charge more than what was required and keep the extra. That was commonplace. And I think it's probably what Levi did because when you see some other tax collectors, you know, in other places, they're, they're going to say, I need to go and pay some people back to make restitution, right? And so, so the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these sketchy people? People who are sinners. And Jesus uh, says then, says that Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so I think we all understand the complaint. We understand what they're saying. The reasons being that uh, the reputation that tax collectors had. And, of course, you know, if you're a good Pharisee, you're going to stay far away from these people. They're considered unclean. You don't want to be around them uh, at all. And especially not over a meal or a party. Having some kind of table fellowship, which, you know, back then this would indicate that you were, you know, good friends with these people. Good friends. Now, so when Jesus said, I have come to call the righteous, um, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. This is interesting, right? He's not saying that the Pharisees didn't need to know Jesus. He's not saying that they were actually righteous in God's eyes. 
know that the problem was that the Pharisees did not see themselves as sinners, though they were. Right? They thought because they kept these different laws uh, and so on that they were made right with God or in God's good graces. They didn't really see the utter sinfulness of their hearts. They didn't see it. And so, um, so in their eyes, it's like they didn't need a doctor, right? So Jesus is saying, I didn't come for those who don't, uh, who don't know they need a doctor. I came for those who knew that they, they do need a doctor. I came for those who know they're spiritually sick, whose hearts are far from me, who they see, they know themselves to be sinful. And these guys that I had the party with, uh, they understand that. They know where they stand. They know they're sinners. And so Jesus is, is really... Um, confronting the Pharisees and that their minds are not in the right place. Well, their hearts are not in the right place. That's the the key thing here. And that they didn't see themselves as sinners. Now, Levi, on the other hand, Matthew, he totally understood. You know, um, he totally understood what he was doing was wrong. He was doing it anyway. And so... But he repented, though. Levi repented. He knew he was guilty before God, right? He knew his very means of income was itself a testimony to his need for forgiveness, his need to turn from that sinful lifestyle and to turn to Jesus and follow him. And so it's interesting, isn't it, here that Jesus does use the word repentance He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Levi, so repentance is a change of mind. And he changed his mind not only about who Jesus was, you know, that he would come to know him as um, God come in the flesh, right? But also he changed his mind regarding the whole orientation of his life. We see that by dropping everything and following Jesus. There was a total change of everything in his life when Jesus came to be at the center. When Levi repented, you see, there's a reorienting. And this happens for any of us who have repented of our sin and turned to Christ and cast ourselves on him, on God's mercy that comes to us through Jesus Christ. When that happens, um, we are reorienting ourselves to God on his terms, his way. That's what we're doing. We're turning from our old ways to God and his ways and to Christ and his mercy. That's some of what repentance means. Repentance is necessary for salvation, right? Again, the Pharisees didn't see their need to repent. They thought everything was fine with them. Again, it takes God to lift the veil from our hearts to see how we truly are. And that is the grace of God that does that. We see this contrast played out later in Luke. Let me just read this for you. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. Listen to this. Uh, It says in verse 9, Luke 18, 9, Jesus, he told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous 
and treated others with contempt. So he, the, Luke sets it up in Luke 18. He says, Jesus is going to tell us a story about some people who thought they were righteous and treated others with contempt. It's just what we're seeing here with the Pharisees in Luke chapter 5. Here's the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one Pharisee, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? There were two men in a chapel, right? One a tax collector and one a Pharisee, right? And so the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like that other man, extortioner, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank God I'm not like him. He says, and listen to what he says. He, listen to what he appeals to. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, listen to what he says. He says, uh, he, says he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's humble. He's broken. He, he knows who he is in here, in his heart of hearts. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you this, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And he's just, he's just simply saying, you know, this is the way the kingdom of God works. You've got to realize your need for Jesus, the great physician. He's the only one that can heal your spiritual problem. He's the only one that can bridge the gap between you and God. The only one. And so... I just think that's a great uh, illustration there of, of this whole situation that was going on, that Jesus is, is basically, by, his, by calling Matthew, going to that party, he knew those Pharisees would be up in arms. But Jesus is trying to say, this is what ministry means. Ministry means going to people that need Jesus, and that's sinners. And Pharisees, you should know you're sinners, but you don't know it because your hearts are hard. Hearts are hard. So they needed to repent like Levi did. I think we just need to see this to ourselves, that first of all, if you have not repented and turned to Jesus, this is a, an opportunity as a wake-up call to see do you see yourself as a self-righteous person that you're doing the kind of you're you're doing the checklist for God, but are you really trusting in what Jesus did for you to save you? Or are you trusting in your good works to make you right with God? Because those good works are not enough. Our own efforts and good works will not make us good enough or perfectly holy in any way. There's nothing wrong with good works. But good works don't save us. We must run to the Savior. We must run to Jesus. We must rest wholly on His work on the cross to save us. And then, by His grace, 
we do the good works for God and for God to get the glory, not to make us better in God's eyes in any way. Well, the complaining continues. Surprise, surprise, with the Pharisees, they had more questions. More questions that, it's kind of a veiled question, but it's just more complaining. And here's what happens in this last part. In verse 33 of Luke chapter 5, it says, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the, the, so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And so they have a hard time, like, you know, your guys uh, aren't like our guys and John the Baptist guys. You know, we, we have a list of things we do. And fasting and praying, you know, uh, for different things, you know, that is, that's something that's required. And we do it. But your guys don't do it. And they have a question about that. They just feel like that's wrong. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, let's just talk about that for a second. I love a good wedding. How about you? Weddings are reasons for celebration, right? Feasts, you know, have a great time. It's, it's, it's a wondrous occasion to be at a wedding, right? And, you know, what do you think of when you think of fasting? Right? It's, just, it's, not, it's not like rejoicing. It's either for mourning or you're seeking God's guidance or something, right? And typically, I think they're probably um, thinking of more. Jesus is kind of comparing this, should be celebrating. You guys are mourning. You know, you're, you're kind of, no. But why is Jesus using this analogy? Well, you got to go to the next verse to see why he's bringing this up. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they, remember they are his disciples, right? The, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And so now Jesus is saying, like, he's the bridegroom, right? These guys are here. I'm, I'm here. Why would they want to mourn and fast? I'm here. They should be celebrating. The Messiah is here, right? They should be having a good time, hanging out with the Savior, with the Messiah. Now, he's saying there will be a time when I will be, he says, uh, when, I, when I will be taken away. Uh, and, and now, this could mean, so some, some people think that this means the, the, the time between when Jesus uh, was in the tomb and when he resurrected, like, you know, between the between the crucifixion and the resurrection when he was taken away in that time period. Others think it's just in general that Jesus is no longer with them, right, when he ascends. I, I think it could be either one. I think the effect is the same, really, whichever it is. The fact that he's saying that Jesus wasn't against fasting, <clears throat> okay, he was not against fasting, um, but what he was saying is it's not appropriate while I'm here with my guys because this is a time for celebrating. The time of the Messiah has come. He goes, I've inaugurated something new here. And this is a time to celebrate, not for a time of mourning. He goes on, and then he tells them a story. 
he, he does some illustrating for them. He says, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new one will not match the old. Well, so, okay, I in, I in no way identify with any seamstress. Because I, I just I, I wouldn't touch a needle because I can't do it, okay. But but it makes sense that if you have material that's been through the wash a number of times, that it's got done its own shrinking, right? And then you put a new piece on it and sew it on it. Things are going to pucker up, and you're really not going to be covering a hole. It's gonna it's gonna not do what you want it to do, right? That makes sense. Then he says, in a likewise fashion, he says. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine bursts the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. So this has to do with the fermentation and the new skins and the old skins, wineskins not being flexible and expandable, right? And so, you know, we're we're not um, our society is different. We're not we'll have wineskins for the wines, but you, but if we Study the history, we realize what he's getting at. He's getting at the same idea as the, the clothing analogy, right? And so, notice this. Um, well, let me just keep going here. Uh, it says, but, the, but new wineskins must be put into fresh wineskins. Then he says, and no one after drinking old wine desires the new. The old, for, the, for he says the old is good. Now, I'll get to that last statement in a minute. But. Think about the kind of the, the, the point of the illustration. What's common here is that both word pictures, whether give, you know what they have, something new is put into something old, right? A new patch on an old garment, new wine into an old wineskin, and in both instances, trying to put the new onto the old have the same effect. It just doesn't work. And Jesus, I think, by using this analogy. And it, this kind of fits, again, with his call of Matthew, right, where he, he's challenging the Pharisees and the way they've, they, they've, they've lived their lives by these extra rules. And, he's, and Jesus is introducing the fact that in his coming, in Jesus' coming, he has inaugurated a new covenant, which is going to fulfill the old covenant. When Jesus came to... You know, what Jesus came to do, which was to die on the cross for our sins and, and to truly satisfy the wrath of God and to bring forgiveness to all those who would believe. So that's what he came to do. The old covenant and law could not accomplish that. Those were pictures of what was to come, right? The Old Testament uh, is best read from the new back. You can see, right, why don't we... Why don't we offer sacrifices anymore, right? Why don't we need a priest anymore, right? Because that has all been fulfilled in Jesus and what he accomplished, right? And Jesus himself said he came to fulfill the law, right? And so I think what Jesus is is trying to get at here is he's basically saying the old and the new covenants cannot coexist uh, in that would not be able to hold on to these ceremonial laws and these extra rules um, and also be able to do what Jesus wants us to do, to reach people. It's just not going to work. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament has nothing for us, by the way. Don't take that away from that. Okay? 
There's plenty of application of the Old Testament. We need to study that Old Testament, okay, and see how it does apply to us today. But I think Jesus is saying things are going to change, okay? You guys are going to have to do away with some of this extra junk that you've put on the people. And, you know, the first century church dealt with this wrestling. If you read in Acts chapter 15, the elders uh, had to wrestle through, um, you know, because there were, cause there were, the, there were the, the Jews, we'll call them the Jews for Jesus, okay? The Jews who were, you know, ethnic Jews, but they, they then put their faith in Jesus, but they still practiced some of the uh, special days. They still honored some of the special days, the Old Testament, some of that. And, and then and what was happening, though, is when these Gentiles, these non-Jews, were coming and putting their faith in Jesus, you know, they didn't have all that history. They didn't have, you know, the, the, so the, 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 the Jewish believers, though, were saying, no, if you're going to be a real Christian, you need to follow all these same things. You need to observe these special days, right? If you're going to, you know, and we think you need to be circumcised, too. There was a controversy in the first century church, okay? And the elders, by God's grace, came to an understanding that, no, they didn't have to do those things, okay? They did not have to do those things to be a true believer. And so, again, the reason I point to that is I think Jesus is simply saying, there is a, there's a transition here, people, right? This, this old way that you're doing things, these extra things that you're putting on these people, um, I'm inaugurating a new covenant. Now, he didn't say all those words, but he's trying to illustrate to them, right? Something new is happening here, and it's going to change your world, <laughs> especially their religious world, okay? Now, what about this last statement? And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. I think he's simply saying there's going to be some people that just won't get over the old. They just won't want to adopt what Jesus is saying. They will not want to put their faith in him. They'll call him a heretic. They'll call him a a blasphemer. They're going to just say, you know, this is not right. And certainly, as the book of Luke goes forward, we'll see that. We'll see that happening. That they'll just say, you know, know, you're changing the old ways. That's the way we always did it, and we liked it. You know, and I think what the, you know, and there will be some, definitely there are some uh, of them who will turn to Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, Zacchaeus, I think of Zacchaeus, right? chief tax collector, um, well-respected religious person as well. And so, but, um, but, but this whole thing here is these, these guys are, you know, Jesus is just introducing his disciples and those who are listening, something new is happening here since I've come. It's going to change things. So this morning, um, as we go to prayer, let me just ask you this. You know, you think about that first part, about the call to follow Jesus. Have you answered that call? Have you sensed him pulling your heart towards himself and, and wanting you to give your life to him and receive his forgiveness? And just, you know, how do you do that? You just simply, in your heart, in your mind, just tell them you know you're a sinner and you need 
the Savior. You need Jesus. You need his forgiveness. And then come to him and say, and as some of us might need to do who are already believers today, maybe there are some things that we've held on to that he wants us to let go of in his name that are, that are a hindrance to us really following him. I don't know what it would be, but if there's something there, I trust the Lord will reveal it to you. And by his grace, lay it down. Ask him what it means to lay that thing down. And then think about people, about having a prayer list of people that you would take to Jesus. And just ask him to pour out his compassion on them, his love on them, and draw them to himself. Because it does say that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. And then, what about a meal with them? What about a meal with some of these people? Something to just get with them and love on them and get to know them. And just, since you've already been prayed up about it, and you just watch God work and be willing to open your mouth and watch Him work. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that Jesus uh, came died on the cross for us, rose again from the dead, and now we live in this time awaiting His return. Nothing wrong with fasting now. There are different reasons to fast. There are times when we long, we, our hearts long for Your return, Lord. Maybe it's situational things happening in our lives where we just, we, we, we just because our lives are hurting and we know this is not the way things are supposed to be and we long for the future that you promised. Lord, help us to follow Jesus. Help us to follow him unconditionally. Help us to lay down the things that he calls us to lay down in order to follow him unhindered. Father, help us to not be ashamed of being associated with Jesus. Help us, God, to, to just give us a desire to introduce our family and friends and others around us to Jesus. Lord, draw them to Yourself and use us as Your instruments. Let us open our mouths and tell others what You've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.